Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. We're talking about comic books when we say the word comics. Uh, this is the podcast hosted by two brothers talking about the comic books they grew up loving uh, that evolved and changed them into the comedian slash uh, uh, men about town they've become. I'm one of those men, Kevin Hines. I'm the other man, Will Hines. Yeah, that's right. That's the two of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are... In our fourth season, part B, 4B, mm-hmm. this is season 4B, mm-hmm. uh, season 4A was about the Justice League International, but we did mm-hmm. one episode where we talked about Batman year one, and we couldn't stop ourselves, so the season yep. continues with us covering the rest of Batman year one, the Frank Miller and David Mazzuchelli, uh phenomenal four-part series, and today we're covering part three. Can't wait. Issue three of Batman year one. It's so good. Which Just was, like every everything else in this series. Which was released in 87 um, and is issue 406 of Batman. Now, sometimes we've read stuff and I'm like, oh, and everything we've covered, we love it. So I always hope that people who are listening, if they haven't read it, they do read it. But, you know, we've done some kind of like dated stuff. You know, mm-hmm. some of those issues of Fantastic Four especially. Uh, and even the really, really good stuff, if it's quite old, it can be tough to get into. Even incredible issues like... Amazing Spider-Man 33, there is some distance because it was done so long ago. Yeah, if people have issues with just the the style of the time, it's hard to ignore that. Yeah, it's totally understandable if people maybe don't have the love for these comics that we do. But for Batman Year One, boy oh boy, it's hard for me to imagine anybody who loves superhero comics... And really just any good story, but at least superhero comics, not loving this. So if you're reading this for the first time, I, I, I got to hear it from you. Even, even if you hate it and you break my heart, I want to hear it. <laughs> uh, if you, I mean, if you like Batman, it's crazy not to have read this. You're going to love it. It's going to be one of the best Batman stories you've ever read. And yeah, as Will said, if you like superhero comics, if you like noir detective stories, stories, if you like, yeah, if you like Die Hard, you'll like this movie. Yeah. This um, comic. This movie. Okay. It's a movie. <laughs> I refuse. I didn't read it. I watched it. Uh, it is a movie, actually, right? It's an animated movie that's relatively faithful. Wait, I've never seen it. You've never seen the ad- adaptation of this? No, I've seen the Dark. I've seen the Dark Knight Returns one, which I really liked. It's not quite as strong as Dark Dark Knight Returns adaption. Uh, Brian Cranston is Gordon, though, and Ooh. he's really, really, really good as the voice of Commissioner I'm gonna Gordon. I'm going to watch it tonight. I'm going to watch it tonight. And it is uh, very good. Um. I th- there's probably some things they've cut out because it's one like the Dark Knight Returns the smartest thing they did was making it like whatever two movies so they could have three and a half hours to cover the four issues yes. yeah uh, this they probably cut some stuff out I don't remember what but I remember watching it and loving it does it look like Mazzuchelli art I mean not as good but it's stylistically say, it's stylistically similar aping like the, this okay, look okay I can't wait. I'm going to watch it because like Dark Knight Returns, the cartoon, the animated one did a pretty good job of like approximating the look of the comic book. Mm-hmm. But the Dark Knight Returns art, which I love, Frank Miller's art with Klaus Jansen and Lynn Varley, Frank Miller's then wife. Um, now your uh, wife. Now my wife, which is awkward between me and Frank that yeah. I, as a 16 year old, married his wife. Yeah. Um, but like uh, it's it's really distinctive and stylish and unique and it stands out. Mazzuchelli's art is 
gorgeous. However, at first passing glance, I think it's a little bit harder to like imitate this style because it's just good, really. <laughs> right, yeah. It's 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 not like some pronounced style the way like to, when Todd McFarlane burst on the scene, you know, he had such like exaggerated uh, things he would do that it's like, oh yeah, that's a Todd McFarlane story. But like Mazzuchelli is just sort of like, well, what if I just drew it? It's minimalist and and it's... I'm sure an artist would look at it and be like, oh, no, he's making definite choices. But it's just it's not as stylistic as like Frank Miller. So I just wonder what an adaptation to a cartoon would look like. Yeah. I mean, looking at people like John Byrne, Walt Simonson, uh, Steve Ditko, even John Romita, those seem to have very distinct looks, even though John Romita sort of became the Marvel house style in a way. Yeah, he became Uh, so... uh, ubiquitous within Marvel that he's just Marvel comics in a way. Yeah. There definitely are artists that are like David Mazzuchelli. I think Michael Lark is one of them. The guy did Gotham central, uh, yeah. for a while. Uh, but it's funny how often I'll think of Mazzuchelli when I like, when I like am looking at art. Um, I feel like the, even Darwin cook, who's quite different than very Mazzuchelli, different, but yeah, but it reminds me cause it's similarly like spare and minimalist and abstract. Who's the guy that did Selena's last stand or whatever? Uh, Darwin cook. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's Yeah. So, um, um yeah, Dar- know, it was, it was Mazzuchelli ish. It reminded me of Mazzuchelli yeah. and Darwin cook. They've also adapted one of his books, new frontier into a cartoon and like, yeah, they adapt his style. I mean, he's also, about- he came from animation, so it makes sense. Who drew um, Hawkeye, the Matt Frankshire Hawkeye? Uh, uh, David Aha. Dave, yes, and he, and he reminds me of Mazzuchelli. Yeah, also. I can see that for sure. Um, not, not like a ripoff or anything. I just, they, they, they strike similar chords in me when I'm, when I'm reading, when I'm looking at their yeah, art. Yeah, they're both like kind of, it's, it's also crazy because I think it's very detailed. So when we say simplified, it's a weird thing to say. Even I'm looking at the cover right now, it's super detailed. But just in the sense that it's not like, it's not like a big jawed, big shouldered, huge flowing cape. It's not Neil Adams, Batman here. It's not Alan yes, Davis, exactly. Batman. It's not super heroic. It feels like a guy in a cape, though it's not quite that either. It's I mean, not, it's it, just really good. It's just this good balance of naturalistic. Yeah. It's also very purposeful. Mm-hmm. Like saying simple isn't right. There's a lot of very busy panels, but I'm looking at a panel in issue three, the issue of Catwoman asleep in her bed with all the cats jumping up on her bed to like wake her up and everything in this, in this drawing seems purposeful and tells us something about Catwoman in a way that's really cool. I mean, even the cover that I'm looking at right now and uh, do you have the cover as a chapter break in your collection? Um, it's very busy. There's lots of, uh, SWAT team members and Batman lurking in the background, but there's also like this big timber piece sort of breaking it into three panels, which sort of simplifies the image. Like I think it would look busy, if you remove that and it wouldn't look as good, but right. one that sort of brings your focus on Batman a little bit more, but also, I don't know, just it's, it's, it, it, it breaks down this cover into very clear, a clear image. Yeah. It's somehow both sort of busy in that there's a lot of stuff, but really easy to look at. Like mm-hmm. you're just, I don't know. It's pretty. It's just pretty looking. Yeah. He's good, this David Mazzuchelli. Yeah, another one of the Will Hines hot takes. David Mazzuchelli, mm-hmm. lauded artist, <laughs> is good at his job. So, Kevin, tell us where we left off in the story. Um, yeah, so uh, Gordon is hunting Batman. He's been ordered to hunt down Batman because Batman threatened the corrupt the politicians and criminal elements of Gotham City. 
So they sent their hotshot cop, Lieutenant Gordon, to get Batman at all costs. And then through a fluke, uh, Gordon and Batman were both trying to stop a runaway truck. Batman saved the person the truck was going to hit, and Gordon sort of was trying to wrest control of the truck. But because of that, Gordon is, was with Batman, his partner, uh, Detective Essen, or Lieutenant Essen, Detective Essen, Detective Essen, uh, reported it in, and the the SWAT team was brought in and bombed the building Batman is hiding in, hoping so to kill him. They wanted the commissioner wants Batman dead. He wants a corpse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He doesn't care about anything else. This man threatened him. He wants him dead. So as we start issue three, Batman already had his doubts because his last memory of Batman is Batman saving somebody from this van hitting. Like he put his life in danger to save basically a homeless woman. Yeah. Uh, One of the. Yeah. uh, One of the stories of Batman year one is Commissioner Gordon and Batman getting to know each other. Batman learning that Gordon is a good cop, even though there's lots of corrupt cops in Gotham. And then Gordon learning that Batman is a good guy, even though he is an insane man who dresses as a bad and beats the crap out of people. That's right. Um, and so we open on Batman collapsing inside of a building that has just been bombed. A homeless man is set on fire behind him, and he's in trouble. Yeah, it's, he almost starts mid-sentence. I feel like I missed a page, but I didn't. It's just I think it, it reminds you that like you're, you're in the middle of this already. Uh, you know, Batman just starts like his first sentence is dash dash stairwells collapsing. That's yeah, how this fall issue starts. With, get away from the fire. That old man doesn't have a chance. Can't help him. Can't help him. Screamy can't help him. Oh no. Thermite. It's like this sort of like a stream of consciousness of Batman trying to solve this problem. I love that he has to tell himself so many times that he can't help this guy. It's like he has to fight every instinct to try to save this guy that's unsavable. Uh, yeah, Batman's goodness is always fun to be reminded of. Uh, I love superheroes that um, like good succeed at their jobs. One of my issues with the current Batman run, which is really well written by this guy Tom King, is that um, to show the threat of the villains, the villains just kill a lot of people in these issues. Mm-hmm. And I read them and I'm like, I think Batman's bad at his job. He keeps yeah. showing up places and there's dead people and it happens so often that I'm like, he needs to be better at it. And I yeah. like a Batman who rarely fails at it's, that, you know, even though that's about, sort of crazy to think about, right? I mean, that's... Yes. Um, thinking about how violent Frank Miller is about to become in his career, be, I, and I, I, I don't think I know the total exact timeline, but he does like Martha Washington sometime after this and he does... What's the... Oh, gosh. Hard-boiled? Is that the Jeff Darrow? Yes, hard-boiled. Um, and then Sin City, of course. Mm-hmm. And he gets more and more like violent with each of these. Um, and in my opinion, his storytelling gets kind of less impressive. Um, although I, I do really love the first Sin City arc. I mean, I love, um, I I love, a, lot of, I love a lot of the first uh, early... I, I like Sin City less in hindsight, but when I first read them all, I was like, ooh, these are great and fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, Martha Washington was really fun, and um, I forget the name of that series. Was it just Martha Washington? Uh, I, give I me know. liberty. Right. Um, but here, at this time in his career, this is just my own personal favorite Miller, in which like there are kind of harsh things going on, like this homeless man is burning to death in panel one, but it is not... That gruesome. 
and it's more to make Brandon the SWAT team the bad guys than it is to like shock you the reader it's like this is how corrupt the Gotham Gotham Police Department is some of that might just be David Mazzuchelli isn't going to put a gruesome burning body in the foreground maybe Frank Mm -hmm. Miller would have who knows Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think he would have at this time but it's hard to say it's hard to say when uh, what Frank Miller's tastes evolved and how they evolved and when they evolved Uh, but David Mazzuchelli brings out the best in Miller I mean, he brings up probably the best in any writer. He's yeah. that good, but they mesh together so well, both Born Again and this. Uh, look so beautiful and, and tell the story so well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's They're good, both good at their jobs. Um, at the, again, page one, we have a... <laughs> We're still page, page one. We're be forever. Um, some good Batman problem-solving. Um uh, all of his weapons catch on fire, so he loses most of his utility belt. Uh, we're being reminded a lot that Batman is new, and so he makes mistakes and hasn't thought through things. So he loses like a lot of his weapons here. And um, right, but then he finds a sort of uh, trap door in the ground that's metal that says "danger electricity eighty thousand watts," and it's padlocked shut. And he kind of realizes, "Oh, I'll be safe in there," so he starts picking the lock. So it what a what, you know what a terrific like action movie sequence you know the building's collapsing around him he needs to pick a lock and get under this thing before he dies. Right, he thinks lucky keep the pick in my glove. Lucky, Batman still he he's know, always admonishing himself. Considers himself very lucky. Yeah, it'd be really hard to pick a lock in gloves or ever. I mean, I, people in action movies and noir things they pick locks like crazy. They pick them all the time. So I got taught how to pick a lock from Ooh, a friend of mine. What? Um, I'm not good at it, but I, he had like a simple see-through lock and it's really fun to do, but it's so much just like feeling it shift mm. around. I can't imagine doing it with even thin isotoner gloves. Also, he's in the middle of an exploding building. That part I'd have no problem with. <laughs> if I would have to take off my gloves. That'd be the only difference. So we're assuming that Batman gets into this container because we cut away. We cut away to Selena Kyle, Catwoman, asleep in her apartment. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's being woken up by a cat. Her young friend Holly is looking out the window, and Holly sort of talks in another sort of Frank Millerish, very distinct voice. She's got like a sing-song voice where certain syllables Accentuated. are bolded. Selena. So it's yeah, Selena outside. Oh, I picture more like kind of whiny, like Selena outside, outside. Like she's oh, that's weird. I I picture it very much sing-songy. Because she doesn't always do it. So it's like, Selena outside. Like, she's just sort of like a little spacey is how I read it. You're probably right in that, but. I love this. So panel three of this page two, by the way, this episode's going to be six hours long. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this whole page is blue. The whole first page was like orange and red because it's a building on fire. And now we're at night in Catwoman's apartment and it's blue. Even that's cool. The, the red page and the blue page in contrast to each other are so nice looking. But my favorite panel of this of the world is uh, panel three of page two. Not true. I just love it where we get a good mm-hmm. look at Catwoman's apartment. She's in this like sort of queen sized bed with um, sort of a stylish headboard and footboard. And there's, I don't know, like 10 or 15 cats piled all up on the bed trying to wake her up. Um, but we get a look at her apartment. There's like posters of like movie icons, um, women um, who maybe are influencing her style. There's a, there's a, 
boxing speed bag on the ceiling. There's dumbbells on the floor. Cigarettes. Big dumbbells. Big dumbbells. There's cigarettes at the foot of her bed on a coffee table. Her chair is a heart, which is kind of weirdly like sweet and ladylike for the extremely tough and violent Catwoman. Um, her dresser has this like round mirror and there's all kinds of like bottles and stuff on the dresser and pictures tucked into the frames. I mean, oh yeah, Vogue is open on the floor. Uh, and then, yeah, 15 cats. I mean, there is just a ton of character development in that panel. The style, the athletic mm-hmm. preparation, the smoking, the cats, the contrast of sweetness versus toughness. It's um, just extremely cool. Yeah. Uh, Selena's a great character when written right. Frank Miller writes her in a fun way. Though, of course, he also implies that she's a prostitute. Um, yeah. Which was not true of her background at this time. I don't know if that's necessary. He, but might, he might imply that she's a dominatrix, which is like no actual sex yes. with the person, but beating them up for money. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that distinction matters, but um, I think it does. Uh, it gives her a bit more. Uh, Holly is a Holly is a prostitute. Yes, Holly is a prostitute, um, as we saw, yeah. or, or both, trying to be. They both have a pimp. I mean, it's basically what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is pre her being Catwoman. Obviously, she's just Selena Kyle. Yep. Um, uh, the last panel here, which was a close up on Holly. I'm being I'm being serious, Selena. Things are blowing up over by Robinson Park. Robinson Park, named after Jerry Robinson, one of the early Batman creators, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe so. And yeah. then, um, and then uh, I probably got that wrong. And then um, Selena goes, maybe Brandon's cornered a jaywalker. It's funny how everybody in this comic knows that Officer Brandon is a violent, you know, overreacting nutcase. Like we're, yeah. we're we are I mean, reminded the, of that many times by many people. The criminals would know, right? They'd be the guy. Like if he shows up, you're in big trouble. I guess they'd probably also know about Flass as being corrupt and uh, trouble. Um, we cut to the next page. We cut back to the explosion scene. And now we are from commissioner Gordon's point of view. There's a wide shot, another explosion on the building. The caption says, what's the first caption on this? Yeah. The fifth load goes up. I pray it'll be the last So five times. They've bombed this building. And then what's the next caption? He, um, I pray it'll be the last. He will be soon. Anyway, Brandon and the collection of sociopaths. He calls a SWAT team. We'll see to that. That's an awkward phrasing. I thought maybe I was missing a caption there. The fifth load goes up. I pray it'll be the last. He will be soon. Oh, yeah, anyway. That's a mistake. Right? There's something is missing there, it feels yeah. like. Kevin, you have found a mistake in a perfect comic book. Yeah. So this comic book is garbage. As I've often said, a piece of uh, quickly thrown together <laughs> trash <laughs> uh, by some of the uh, bullpen favorites of DC Comics. So we need to fill four issues. Get that hack Miller <laughs> and that, that guy scrawling on the uh, back of placemats, David Mazzuccelli, to throw something together. <laughs> so you expect mistakes like this in a comic like Batman Year One. Um, so Gordon obviously is against this violence. He's not even so sure they should be going after Batman, but he's powerless because his boss, the commissioner, has ordered it so. Yes. Um, and a third. this third panel is a great little indication of how Gordon is not allied with the police department. He's thinking Batman. He's made enemies of every criminal in Gotham and nearly every elected official. They've only got him cornered because he got hurt saving an old woman's life. They, I mean, we, of course, I love it. It's so fun. So fun. 
And Gordon should just be in an ambulance recovering. He got hit by but he is a car, right? I mean, he fell out of a crashing van or something, <laughs> uh, but he needs to see this through, even though he's not allowed to get involved. Back at Catwoman's apartment, um, uh, well, she's not Catwoman yet, but back at Selena Kyle's apartment, she's up feeding all of her cats. They're watching the TV and getting the news on what's happening, and they're interested in Batman. Holly notices that Batman's there. Selena, it's Batman, can we? And Selena's like, what the hell? Grab your coat. Down, Otto. There's plenty. They're going to go check it out, kind of just for fun, right? Yeah. They want to. She, Selena doesn't quite admit this, but she's also interested in Batman. She's intrigued by him. Um, next page, we are in the building. They're done bombing it, and Brandon's SWAT team, super violent, ready to shoot Batman, is creeping in. So, like again, like this is not a simple uh, uh, drawing by any stretch of the imagination. There's like so much detail to the splintered wood. Somehow it is organized that it is easy to look at. Like uh, the the coloring might do. Uh, Richmond Lewis, the colorist, who we haven't mentioned too many times, might yeah. have a lot to do with that because because a lot the palette is very muted, except for the cops kind of stand out. So you can all your attention just kind of goes to the figures, maybe. Yeah, everything about it. I mean, again, the layout is great because there's a like little sparseness around the cops that draws your eyes to them the colors definitely do their spotlights I mean, on the I cops. get tense looking at this like I'm I can feel yeah. the it is such a well uh directed sequence it is crazy to me that when they made Batman Begins they didn't just make this yeah I'm sure it was considered um, right I mean somebody in the room must have been like there's a perfect comic book we could adapt because this sequence is so fun this issue so cinematic it would have been a, such a fun sequence in the movie and you could expand on a little bit here and there it would look great it would be beautiful i mean anyway uh um, they and batman begins was sort of meant to be batman year one so why not at least include some more of the they include some of the stuff from this comic they just didn't include everything um they include the parallel gordon and batman story there's a lot of there's, there's a lot less, of Gordon and Batman. Uh, there's a lot of Gordon, but there's a lot less Gordon and Batman begins. Well, you want? I mean, there's a there's an actual quality Gordon, which is like the first time Gordon's given any real weight. Yeah. Uh, in a live action, I mean, beyond '66, uh, Gordon was the next yeah. biggest Gordon. Am I a Batman? Um, uh, Chief O'Hara. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so Gordon is great in that movie, and they do like the bats being summoned and a few things like that, but. I don't know. Yeah. There's other things they could have done. I'm surprised they didn't just take more and more and more from this. Brandon's troops uh, are trying to find Batman. They see a chimney. They're like, is he down there? But they're like, no. And they spot the metal trap door that we know Batman went in. And they're like, if he got down there, the trap door is metal. He might have survived. So perforate it, soldier. Um, it's like yeah. we- they see that they see that like the, it's, the lock has been recently opened. Um, and they can tell like he would survive down there. He wouldn't necessarily survive down the chimney. So um, it's kind of nice when people are allowed to be smart. Like they figure that out pretty yes. fast. So they just shoot mm-hmm. it. Like the stakes. Which is also a smart move. They don't open it and slowly go down. If they All they want is him dead. Just blow it away. So they riddle it with bullets. Then they open it up. And then they slowly are going down, hoping to find a body. Yeah. And then Batman's hand comes out of that chimney <laughs> and does like a nerve pinch on one of the uh, officers. And takes takes him, out. him right out. Um the cops are finding that a number of homeless people, uh, actually, we say we say right. unhoused now, Kevin. That's I, I am aware of that. And this, they refer to them as winos <laughs> in this comic. So, well, it's the bad guys saying that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And uh, but yeah, they keep they, you keep getting reports over the radio. Another wino up here. He's cold. Yeah, they've killed all these uh, winos. Even this little drawing of this winos. <laughs> no, I'm saying it. Uh, like living quarters. He's he was religious. There's like a bumper sticker honk if you love Jesus. There's a Virgin Mary statue. Yeah, somebody was squatting here. This was not a. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, this was not a, somebody was just camping yeah. in an abandoned building. But I just mean like Mazzuchelli gives him a little personality just in this one drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we cut back up to where the trap door was. Batman has emerged from the chimney, taken out two of the cops, and moved a wooden beam over the trap door. So everyone's trapped down there. Yeah, and you, it sort of reveals that the chimney leads down into that room that they were down in. So Batman did go down there, but then he climbed up the chimney when he heard them coming because he's Batman. And now he drops a little pellet. I guess this did not blow up in his utility belt. And it's some sort of gas. Uh, he's going to just gas them. Um, oh, I think he kicked his way through the chimney. They say that at some point, right? Yes, must have kicked through. Must have kicked through, climbed up the chimney. Kicked through a brick what? chimney. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he's Batman. We cut back outside where Gordon is listening to this, and we hear over the CB, um, gas masks fast, unit one, you copy? And Merkel, I assume it's Merkel, Gordon's cop. Yes, he is Merkel. I think Brandon needs some help, Lieutenant, and Gordon is just lighting up his cigarette. We can't help, Merkel, orders, breaks my heart. Love it. Love it. He's not allowed to interfere. We also see Holly and Selena have joined the crowd, and they're watching what's going on. Batman, Selena, somebody just said he's alive. Maybe we'll see him. Uh, th- and then Selena says, we'll see his corpse. I would read it like, um, Batman, Selena, somebody just said he's alive. Maybe we'll see him. Yeah, I just, I guess the reason I never thought it was whining is also this doesn't make sense to be whining here. Yeah, yeah it doesn't. Batman, Selena. I, I see more like alive. an impatient kid. Like, come on, come on, let's do this. Let's go, let's go. I, I picture it like that. Yeah. Um, um, the, uh, co- the corrupt commissioner is in a helicopter. Even this makes it so movie like putting the commissioner on the scene, not like <laughs> yeah. he, he had to come here. Like that's an action movie trope. Like why would he yeah. come? He's in the helicopter. There's a sharpshooter hanging out of the side door looking to shoot Batman. Um, the commissioner's taking a mint in his mouth. He's unwrapping a mint and somehow making it seem gross. It, is, it, makes, it makes you think that his breath is bad and just that he's foul and gross. And he's probably... I'm talking like this so, all the time. What's wrong with our marksman? Yeah. So they, they they couldn't just have him like shoving a couple Twinkies in his mouth. They're, they have to do it a little bit more elegantly with a breath mint. Um, yeah. So there's a marksman. So that means they know Batman's alive, but if he comes out in the open, they're going to shoot him from above. Uh, we see Batman hanging out with a cat. Yes, there's a... Um, that's the only other survivor of the bombing. Um, yeah. And Batman's uh, inner monologue is pretty funny. The only other survivor he attacks shares a shrinking shadow with me. I owe him an apology. I've made a mess of things. Let it all get out of hand. The enemy is closing in, relentless, unstoppable. Uh, yeah, if the, 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 the cops in the helicopter said the sun is rising and that will soon expose Batman. So his, he can't hide. Yeah, the, the more sun that hits here, the harder it will be for him to hide. Um, he mentions again that he lost all his tools. All he's got is a blowgun in his boot. Yeah, he starts giving a nice count of it. What what's left? On this, and with my belt, I lost my rope, my thermite, my tear gas, even my batarangs. I'm down to the blowgun in my boot. 
Uh, there's a little interruption. Down to the blowgun, and it's three darts and an unofficial invention of Wayne Electronics. Before we get to that, which is awesome, yeah. there's a, this picture of him waiting under the stairs. Like, more cops are yeah. coming in the building, and Batman's kind of hiding under the stairs with the cat. Um, it, th- th- this looks like a, a sequence out of The Dark Knight Returns, issue one, where Batman's hiding under the stairs, criminals come down, and he, like, breaks all their hips and legs and something like that. Uh, it's also a good example of where David Mazzuchelli, despite like drawing kind of realistically, isn't drawing realistically because Batman is like part of the shadows, the black in his cowl. He's really blending just, in, yeah. Yeah, like he, he would stand out if Alex Ross drew this. Like Batman would kind of stick out a little mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Right. So back to what you were saying. Um, one of the things Batman is thinking that he still has is an unofficial invention of Wayne Electronics. Haven't tested this at this great a distance. Um, or for use in daylight. Too bad I can't afford a patent and I'd make a fortune. But then I already have a fortune. I'm not 100% sure how I'd make a fortune off this, but I, I trust Batman. <laughs> um, yeah, so he triggers this thing. We don't know what and, it does uh, yet, but we're going to find out soon. Basically, the next page starts telling you uh, he spent weeks figuring out the frequency to attract bats. Yep. And there's a lot of bats at Wayne Manor. Right, so we... We're, as he thinks about it, we're, we are looking at a shot of the Wayne Manor sort of estate. And he talks about the Bat Cave. And we see the tree he kicked down. <laughs> that's right. Um, we cut to the Bat Cave and we hear ski, 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 these like bat noises. And so Batman has summoned the bats. He's also getting his blow yeah. dart ready. Yep. The cops are being annoyed by the meowing cat. They're all now. Meanwhile, a bunch of cops have entered, and they're all trying to move this timber that is blocking a lot of the first batch of cops in the basement. And they're remarking on yes. how hard it is for the, There's like two of them struggling to move it. Batman moved it himself. Yeah, uh, but the, the cops are starting to climb out through the chimney at this point, so it almost doesn't matter. Yeah, Brandon comes up. He's all angry. Drop that beam. They weren't quick enough. They're useless. We're lucky he didn't kill them. He assumes everybody is as violent as he is. Mm-hmm. And then he gets hit with a blow dart in the neck. In the neck. Yeah. And the caption from Batman's thoughts, the slightest dose of anaconda on the darts enough to put a man to sleep for a day or so. Uh, then he somersaults right. away. He's getting shot at 12 men left, two darts, no good. One bullet. Yeah. And so many bullets are shot at him. Yeah. We see like. It is insane. The number of shots he has to roll away from. One bullet will make all the difference. They've got thousands, um, but it's dark. And he's in the shadows and he's moving fast and he's calm. And this next panel, it's one of these like tropes of action movies. The bad guys fire a million bullets. The good guy just doesn't get hit. It is unrealistic, but the drawing here does make it look plausible. Right. There's enough things blocking between him and them. He's moving fast. He's got his cape kind of wrapped around him so it doesn't get caught on anything. There's also a cat running that's causing some more chaos. One of the, one of the cops shoots at a and cat. And there's like smoke from all the bullets. Right. In the first panel on this next page, Batman's running behind a pillar. Kind of looks like the Matrix lobby shooting spree scene a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, which will come out two years from now. I think they ripped it off totally from Batman Year One. Um, no, yeah. I don't think that. And then one of the one of the cops is shooting at a cat. Right? Darn, damn that cat! Yeah, it, it, you notice it more when you go back and read it a second time because there's a bunch of silhouetted cops just firing, but there's one clearly aiming in a different direction. Yeah. Well, notice because Batman will refer to it later. Batman grabs the cat and throws him out a window, saving him. Yeah. The cat, like, uh, runs out the window, jumps over a cop car, and into Selena, uh, 
Kyle's arms. Which is terrific, right? I mean, just somehow they're drawn to the soon-to-be Catwoman. But also, like, this cat, like, runs by Commissioner Gordon, which is important. He sees that Batman saved a cat. Yeah. I mean, that is the classic save the cat moment, right? Like, that the screenwriting book is named after. Um, Yeah. So, Batman saves a cat, therefore we know he's good. Uh, Meanwhile, Batman's behind a pillar. There are five or six, or maybe more, maybe like ten cops closing in on him. Got him, man. We've got him. Uh, Batman's groggy. Had to put a bullet in my good leg, didn't they? Forget it, ignore it. Put what's left into it. And he kicks a, like, like Samson, he kicks down a pillar, bringing like the whole room down on everybody. We saw him break yeah. a tree, I guess, so we know he can do this. <laughs> yeah, I guess we do. It looks like a stone pillar. It can't be. It's insane uh, why a stone pillar would be like in a Gotham lobby, but um, it's certainly shaped like one. Yeah, he kicks it down. It collapses on everybody. Then the bottom panel is him sort of getting up from the dust and grime going, you're the one. Also, that panel also looks very Dark Knight. Um, mm-hmm. it's a, that, I feel like there is an exact panel like that in Dark Knight 1. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, and then you turn the page and he's punching a cop in the gut who tried to shoot the cat. Not only did he save the cat, he gives uh, a little extra punishment to the guy who tried to kill him. Yeah. He pu- throws punched him, him through, through the wall. a wall. Yeah. He maybe punched him twice. It's unclear. Crowd um, starts He cheering, definitely punched him hard right? once. They yeah. love Batman. Yeah, Gordon thinks to himself, the crowd is all screams and angry shouts. Then they hear a wrecking ball take out the wall. And hardware store clatter across the street. A cheer goes up. They've made a hero out of him. Then the cheering disintegrates and the screaming starts again. And we see the bright sun nearly silhouetted by a horde of bats. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and Batman is kicking one of the cops in the chin. Uh, he doesn't seem to need the bats at this moment, but uh, they're about to arrive. Are they out of bullets? It feels like they could shoot him here. Um, I mean, he needs them for the getaway. But uh, in this brief moment where we see him, it doesn't seem like they stand a chance. Uh, but yeah, the, the bats swarm the crowd watching the scene. They swarm the cops. And you see Batman like running through the bats up on top of Gordon's cop car. The, the helicopter safety. pilot is totally distracted. My lord, what's... And, but the commissioner keeps his eyes on Batman. There, there, down there. He's got a motorcycle. Get after him or I'll have you shot. Get after him. I don't think a commissioner should tell a civilian that he will have him shot. No matter how corrupt you are. Yeah, and then we kind of go into a quick like montage to sort of see how this all wraps up uh, from Gordon, the star of the comic. Who, yeah, you hate that Batman's in this comic. You want only Gordon. There's too much Batman in this issue, and most people would agree with me. Why don't we take a—I know this is a weird time, but we should take a break. We should. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And so at this point, you've got your French drain in place, but it's not affixed to the wall. So what you want to do is uh, drill 
look for a stud. Take out your stud mm-hmm. finder and try to find a wooden beam behind the sheetrock. You're going to want to drill uh, uh, in there. As we said a number of times, a, a solid drill is your best friend when installing and when redoing your basement. Pick up the flower tile and glue it to your face. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Batman is riding his motorcycle through the bats <laughs> and the cops are chasing him. We've got a little montage escape. Um Commissioner Loeb chased a cloud of bats for 12 blocks. When the cloud broke up, they found out that was all he was chasing. Somewhere along the way, the Batman must have taken a turn and told my pets, and told his pets, sorry, told his pets to keep going. One of the cop cars drives off a pier, which is really funny. Yeah, that's a, that also feels very, that's humor in the Miller sense. Yeah. I think you would know you were heading to a pier. Um, Selena, yeah. Kyle, and Holly. They're going full speed and they're behind the cloud of bats. There's no reason. It's like the Blues uh, Brothers even, or something. Even the caption is funny there. It's like, always eager to please the commissioner, Detective Swanson pursued the bats to the bitter end. Uh, everybody was uh, vaccinated with because they got bat bites, including a very upset Catwoman and Holly. It's also pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, they find out that someone stole a, a suit from a suit shop but left money. Right, so that's Batman, obviously, was so he could get out of his costume someplace close by. Uh, also, Batman didn't kill anyone. Yeah, four of Brenda's men were hospitalized with broken bones. Pratt, who Batman had punched through a brick wall, suffered five broken ribs and internal bleeding. Um, right, Batman killed nobody. Yeah, uh, but Brendan and Loeb did. They killed a bunch of uh, winos, as the comic book calls yeah. them. Um, so then we cut to Commissioner Gordon's office, and he's this is two days later he's with Lieutenant uh, Detective Essen. We also see the photo right. of Gordon's wife on the desk, but we know that he's falling in love with Detective Essen, and he and yep. he's putting it together. He now knows Batman is a good guy. There's no doubt about it, mm-hmm. right? Um, they still think it's Bruce Wayne, also because at the end of last issue, they started thinking maybe Bruce Wayne was a good suspect, being rich, having his parents killed by. Uh, criminals. Yeah, this is a great paragraph on the, the June 9th page. Uh, mm-hmm. Sergeant Essen informed me that Wayne's parents were murdered by a mugger when he was six years old. That's enough motive, I suppose, to make a man dress like Dracula and assault criminals and save cats. Um, yeah. So they want to talk to... You can't let that go. He's still like holding on to these little details. Like He's starting to, to like Batman, and he can't... The clues are there, and they're sort of circling around. He saved that uh, woman from being hit by a truck. He paid for his suit. He didn't kill anybody. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Bruce is supposed to be Um, in Europe, so he calls, and lo and behold, he is connected to Bruce Wayne. Um, Although the way Gordon says it is, I spoke to somebody in Switzerland who said he was Bruce Wayne. He's suspicious. Yeah, uh, uh, Detective Essen sort of puts that into uh, words. Wayne could afford an Wayne could afford an impersonator who and cast on his arms and legs would cover bullet wounds exactly where Batman received them. Um, yeah, because he's because his alibi is that he broke some bones skiing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Essen was sort of like emptying an ashtray into the wastebasket, and Gordon was kind of checking her out. So the last panel is. I'm sorry, Essen. Did you say something? Because he wasn't listening. Yeah, he's drinking from his world's greatest dad mug because he's about to have a child. Uh, Gordon's not perfect. Gordon's not perfect. Uh, next page at the top. Yes, sir. It's quitting time. Share a cab, and Gordon's internal model. Like, think of her as a cop. Think of her as a cop. And then uh, Bruce, right. and Bruce is got, skiing somewhere. Yeah, Bruce flew to Switzerland 
That's part of Zalbi, and he's out skiing now. Uh, I have the casts and the uh, and the and the. Oh yeah, I leave the casts and the sleeping alibis back at the lodge. They were so eager to support my story with Lieutenant Gordon. All I had to do was say that a woman was involved. Um, but then he's thinking to himself, this isn't a game. I can't afford mistakes. I have to learn to make it work step by step, method by method. But that won't be enough. Too many people want me dead. I can't do it alone. I need an ally, an inside man. I need Jim Gordon on my side. <laughs> and he's right. Like having all the cops chase him at all times is going to make it impossible to be Batman. Um, meanwhile, back, uh, Batman's having an effect on everybody because we... Two days later, we are in Selena Kyle's incredibly corrupt neighborhood, and she has punched out her uh, pimp. Mm-hmm. Um, and Holly's like, Selena, you punched Stan. We're changing our line of work, Holly. I got an idea. Um, yep. This is going to be the birth of Catwoman, of course. Yes. Uh, Gordon is getting coffee with Sarah Essen at Hopper's Diner, the famous painting. Yeah, the Nighthawks at the Diner painting is like here, but it's Commissioner Gordon and Essen getting coffee at it. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn a little bit about Essen. Um, her family's from Germany. Um, she got into law enforcement after being told she was too masculine for about six other careers. Whoever told her she was masculine must have been blind, deaf, and dead, says the falling in love Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, he stays out a little later with her than he normally does for a post-work coffee, which, uh, and he says to himself, the rain's eased up and I'm an hour late and feeling terrible about having forgotten to call Barbara. We decide to risk it and look for a cab. Uh, and then the rain starts up again. They kind of go into an alleyway and they kiss. And they kiss. This is a rom-com. <laughs> this, is, this is a your classic will there a won't they rom-com. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they get a cab and Essen gets into it. Um, and then we cut back to Catwoman and she's got her costume. We spent all our money on that costume. It's pretty queer. I mean, it's money, Holly. It'll be a kick. Just watch. And Catwoman goes for her first night of, I assume, robbery? Yeah, she leaps out into the city. Uh, Meanwhile, Gordon is at home. He's just started to have an affair. He's holding the gun in his hand. He's had another fight with Barbara. Um, He's guilty because he's been caught, right? Well, she doesn't know at this point. She just knows that he's spending a lot of time at work and he didn't call home and she's upset. Yeah, she's mad that he's not around. She doesn't know that he's with another woman. Uh, she called the office. I wasn't there. I was out having coffee with Sarah. Sarah, my God, I'm calling her Sarah now. It's all wrong. And Barbara's right, as always. Just, can you, and then the last you, page you, is all you got to just read it. It's so good. The, the picture is uh, Gordon's pregnant wife asleep in the bed. Gordon's sitting at the end holding a gun in his hand. Yeah. And right now I should be talking to her, begging her to forgive me for... For the baby in her stomach and the way I'm thinking about Essen, that's right, call her Essen. Forget how she felt, how her body and her lips felt. Barbara, I should talk to her. I should be thinking not about Sergeant Essen and not about Batman. He's a criminal. I'm a cop. It's that simple, but but I'm a cop in a city where the mayor and the commissioner of police use cops as hired killers. He saved that old woman. He saved that cat. He even paid for that suit. The hunk of metal in my hands is heavier than ever. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. It's so great. Uh, he's he's having an affair on Barbara, and also he's having an affair on the Gotham City PD. He's an unfaithful man in lots of ways. He's falling in love with Batman and, and Detective S. <laughs> and that's how this issue ends. Well, that's Hines. the end of issue three. We got one more. Oh, boy. Boy, oh, boy. Um, 
So what do you say on a, on a scale of uh, one to two? What do you give this? Hmm. Zero. I think it's zero because stars. Of that typo. That typo. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. I give it two, which is a low rating. <laughs> Most people say two stars is not great, but um, yeah, it's really fun. Any favorite moment sequence? Uh, there are so many. There are so many great ones. Um, I mean, it's silly to ask that question. But, uh, I'm I'll pick that panel I do. called attention to before the opening panel of Catwoman asleep in her bed. Just how much we learned about a character from just looking around was so satisfying. It was just really fun. I don't know. Yeah. I love every uh, single panel in this comic, so I don't know. Yeah. It's pretty difficult to, to pick something. Um, it's all so, so my second perfect. pick would be the page where just a horde of bats is like descending on the crowds and everyone's like running and hiding. That was just incredible. Um, I mean, I love the, uh, the, the copper, the chopper hovering over the, uh, broken down building, Mm -hmm. I think is really Mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Same with the, the picture of Batman climbing out of the chimney with the beam on the trap door. Those are both great moments. Yep. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's a perfect comic except for that typo, which kind of devalues the whole thing. By a hundred percent. Um, yeah, next issue is the last one, and then Batman dies. That's it. <coughs> Huge mistake in Batman comics. They killed him in the year 1988, right before the movie came out, and launched him back into popularity. It was just a, just a really big mistake. I mean, they didn't know the movie was going to be good. They didn't even, they didn't even hear about it. Um, uh, Warner Media released it without telling DC Comics. Um, we got six emails from one person, Will Hines. Are they all right? They're all good. I'm going to read you the first one, and we're going to space these six out over the next six episodes. Okay. If other people email in, I'll intersperse them with him. Okay. Um, uh, they're fun. Some of them are, are more fun than others. I'm reading them in order, not by my ranking of what I think of them, but just in the order he he numbered them. Okay. You ready for I'm it? ready. Great. These are all from Benjamin Ordung. So this will be a temporary feature in our <laughs> podcast, the Benjamin Ordung email. Okay. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for the amazing podcast that you filled my boring nights at work with over the last few weeks. I sadly admit that I'm still playing catch up, so he won't hear this for a while. <laughs> Halfway through season two, the FF issues. But with great podcast comes great follow-up questions. Uh, I love that. Okay. Uh, I'm breaking my communications into multiple emails as to not overwhelm, overburden your assumingly already busy correspondence schedule. I'll bullet point it to make an easier read. (laughs) And so each of his emails has three bullet points. One is history, (laughs) two is context, and three is the point. Okay. All right. You ready for this? Number one, history. I've been a Spider-Man fan since I got my first comic in a random box of comics for Christmas in 1991. And that box was 20 completely unrelated comics of varying publishers. I was a 13-year-old science nerd with glasses and bullies. Oh, and my father left uh, uh, when I was sick, when I was three, so I had a single mother. Number two, context. (laughs) This random comic collection presented me with Spider-Man 1990 series, number 15. Uh, So I think that is... uh, either the McFarland series or he, I forget when McFarland left that book. So I'm not sure if McFarland's still there yet. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a swinging towards you cover with the beast jumping next to him. The background is yellow. The issue started my addiction with all things, Spider-Man and eventually all things comics. Uh, number three to the point. <laughs> you ready for the actual question? I, yes. I'm extremely well prepared. I think 
Last year, I went to the grand opening of a comic book shop an hour away to show my support for the industry. The owners started their business as an online-only comic book marketplace. Once in the store, which is a very long line, I overheard the owners telling patrons that new comics were trash and focus on the old stuff. Seemed like a failed business model to turn away any new business, especially the young readers who can't spend $500 on a single comic from the 70s. As someone who only started reading collecting in the 90s and then expanding in both directions, shouldn't we value the new comics as jumping on points for new readers as much as the old comics? And that's what he's asking as well. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't we value the new comics as jumping on points for new readers as much as the old comics? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course. Uh, It's insane to um, tell somebody not to buy new comic books. And it, uh, if you run a comic book shop, uh, of course, it's really fun to look back at the stuff you loved as kids and the old stuff to see what's great mm-hmm. about it. We do that on this podcast. We love it. But also everybody who's making comics now has read all that stuff and learned from it. And most of the glaring flaws of like 60s comics are gone. You know what I mean? Like they're addressed mm-hmm. and they do such a better job. You know, they're, they're standing on the shoulders of those comics, but they're they're still standing. It's like, it's really, um, it's really cool. Uh, 90s were a weird time for comics. I sort of see where this guy's coming from. Marvel comics were um, sort of taken over by these image artists, McFarlane, Larson, Jim Lee. Uh, it was the artists first, and, and not in a Kirby Ditko sense, but just in sort of a like, cool pages, cool designs over story Mm -hmm. where I think Kirby and Ditko were artists first, but they were story artists. Right. Uh, And and that's not necessarily fair to all those guys. Guys can tell good stories, but the general feel of the time where comics were all about like a splash page and uh, um, webbing flying everywhere and capes that flowed through six page pullouts, uh, foil covers and stuff like that. That also being said, like 1991, uh, DC was doing great comics at that time, and Marvel, I'm sure, had good comics too. I don't remember exactly what was coming out at that time. They, you just had to see through the comics that were the huge sellers. I'm talking about like comics I thought were good. People loved um, uh, McFarlane and and Jim Lee X Men yeah. and, and McFarlane Spider Man. So those were super popular. Those guys left and formed Image Comics, and that is still around and is still a force. It's probably the number three publisher, yeah, uh, of comic books. Um, but I will say that's an interesting thing. My follow-up question to his question is, uh, one of the things they say about comics is any issue can be someone's first issue. So you have to sort of like catch them up on everything that's going on. Like even this issue we just read, it sort of like kind of catches you up a little bit on what's going right. on. It, it reminds you that the building got blown up and that Brendan is a bad, uh, a violent cop. Mm-hmm. It has to give you all those points. Um, but this comic is nowhere near as good if you didn't read the last two issues. Like, y- yeah. if you've got this issue, you should wait for the collection or go back and find that issue from two uh, months ago, yeah. if possible. It and that's more and more true of comics now. Like, people write for these trades; they write storylines, they write four, six issue storylines, and some writers are better about making every chapter sort of read. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're just sort of like, "Well, I'll make every sixth one really easy to jump on." Okay, yeah. Uh, and I'm, I don't hate that. Uh, people, do, uh, we're in a time, I, I think you should be able to read every issue, but people don't want to do that. Um, television shows are a great example. Nobody started watching Game of Thrones with episode three of season three. Right, right. They, they would go back and watch season one. Uh, 
uh, when they hear about a good show, people always go back to episode one. Yeah. Uh, not me. I didn't do that a few times, but um, normal people, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And same thing for comics. It's like, oh, is this comic book good? Great. I'll get the first collection. I think if you're running a store, it sounds like those people would, who knows? It was an overheard comment. It's not fair to totally yeah, yeah, yeah. hang the stranger out to dry. But um, if you're like selling a product, it's your job to find the good stuff. Okay. Yeah. I, there was a lots of trash in the old comics too, like a lot. So we're, you know, the good, the good stuff is what we pay attention to now, but all that bad stuff has fallen away like dried leaves and there's got to be like good a, stuff now. Like just find it and tell the, tell people about it. Right. And a good comic shop owner should know all the stuff. So he can say like, Oh, you like Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. You should check out, uh, uh, this X-Men run by Jim Lee. He's another hot artist right now. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying like, I don't like that book. Right. Right. Um, I think I've told this story in the podcast before, but because I was reading a bunch of Carl Barks, Donald Duck comics, the comic shop I used to go to cave comics in New Haven said like, Oh, you should read bone. Uh, it's a new comic by Jeff Smith. It's an indie comic. I think you'll like it. I think he maybe gave me the first issue for free. Maybe I can't remember. He gave it to me or t- just told me to buy it. And I listened blindly but bone is one of the greatest comics ever. And I was like, yeah, all right. And sometimes he gave me things I wasn't that into. And sometimes he gave me things that I uh, read throughout. Even, um, Mr. Domain of outer limits comics, our, our first comic store that Kevin and I went to as young children. And he was not like a particular big comic books fan, but he read a lot of the stuff that was out. And he noticed I liked like the artsy weird stuff. And he recommended love and rockets to me. He was like, oh, you might, you, wow. you might like Love and Rockets. Like, it's kind of different. It's black and white. It's oversized. Um, I think he also recommended Zot to me. And so, and those, those were not necessarily his jam. Like, he was not into that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Those are two home run. Those are two home run recommendations for Will Hines. Yeah, so he was just a nice store owner who, I think I was 14 or something or 15. Yeah. And, like... Uh, I mean, that's the way you do it. I also love when they um, do shelves of like recommendations and things like that. Um, actually, you know what it was? He, I just, he, rec- I just wanna, he recommended Amazing Heroes. The Fantagraphic mm-hmm. started doing a weekly like, or yeah, was it weekly or monthly? Monthly, I think, like news magazine about comics. It featured a lot of their own. Um, but I really did love reading Amazing Heroes. I thought it was like really fun. And that's where I discovered Love and Rockets. Sorry. But he did recommend Zot um, to me. Yeah, I, the comic shop I went to in New Jersey when I just graduated college had like a shelf of like each person who worked there had like their shelf. Oh, yeah, I love that. And and I would go to those shelves. And then if I found something I liked, then I would sort of like really look at everything else on that shelf. Yeah. And be like, well, I like this one thing. Maybe everything here is good. Yeah. And uh, uh, it would lure me in. Um, and these people also, uh, most of the shelves weren't superhero books. It was a lot of different stuff. It's where I discovered... Uh, Paul Grist. It's where I discovered Skeleton Key. And no, Skeleton Key I discovered somewhere else, but it's where I discovered Paul Grist and, and uh, Jonin the homicidal, uh, Jonin Vasquez's Johnny the Homicidal Maniac <laughs> uh, and Squee, the follow-up series, which I liked even more. Uh, and just like lots of weird little indie books. I think Mr. Blank maybe was there. Uh, Some of the stuff I also discovered, Wizard Magazine, which was a terrible comic book uh, publication, but Early on was decent. It's terrible in the sense of very mainstream is what I mean. Uh, but early on was pretty good and had like a section on indie. It had like the indie corner in the back. And yeah. I think that's where I learned about Paul Grist stuff. 
they just had like they showed panels from Kane. I was like, ooh, this is beautiful. I mean, I feel like comic book stores and record stores are places where the person behind the counter should be like an advocate, like a knowledgeable advocate. Yeah, the best thing for Marvel and DC uh, would be all comics selling well and having every comic book shop owner love all comics. Yeah. Um, uh, which, you know, they're there to make money more. And so is Marvel and DC. So that's the fact. Anyway, uh, we're going to get more emails <laughs> from Benjamin Ording. Uh, some of them have really fun questions that I'm, I can't wait to talk about with you, Will. I can't wait some either. of them uh, are like this, where it's sort of like, shouldn't people like comics? It's going to spill. And the answer is yes. Answers, yes. It's going to spill over into our Sandman run. Yes, it will. Uh, if people want to email us about Batman Year One, liking it, not liking it, uh, if they want to compete with Benjamin Ording and ask us some questions, if they want to talk about Sandman early, email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. Screwitspidey. And follow our Instagram, which is screwitcomics. Kevin puts screenshots of the stuff that we are talking about, and it's really cool. There's mm-hmm. also Screw It Recent, which is whatever Kevin's reading, and Screw It Spidey, our old Instagram from our first season that is still being updated when Kevin frequently dives back into Spidey stuff. Hey, did you see Dan Slott's recent Twitter thing where he got mad yes. about um, uh, people pushing back on his opinions about Spidey's jokes? Yeah. Uh, the person who said, like, have you ever read a Spider-Man comic? Did you see that? Yes, it's so, his response was so funny. So I'm going to paraphrase this and I don't have it in front of me, but Dan was basically like, I'm reading a lot of these old comics and uh, Spidey, some of these jokes haven't aged well. And I'm talking about the fat shaming ones where he makes fun of Kingpin for being fat and kind of makes fun of Doc Ock for being fat and stuff. And he goes, you know, a lot of comic book fans are overweight and that's like, uh, Spidey's, Spidey's better than that. That's, that comes across as a bully. Um, and he wasn't saying yeah. to go back and take them out of reprints or anything. He was just saying sort of like, you look, these jokes, looking back, that does reading these jokes now don't read, doesn't well. read well. It doesn't really fit into what I think of Spider-Man and he shouldn't make those kind of jokes going forward. Um, I thought it was like an interesting comment. I agreed uh, a thousand percent with that as well. Uh, before we even get into the person kind of criticizing him, but there, there uh, is a, the, I don't like Spider-Man insulting people. Meanly for their looks, uh, he's not a bully. Or even like their intelligence or anything like that. I like him making fun of their costumes or their choices. Yeah, like making fun of Mysterio's costume. Got no problem with that. Yeah, making fun of a uh, even making fun of Doc Ock's bowl haircut. I don't love. Yeah, but he might make fun of. He's like, so you're going with the octopus theme, not a not a spider theme. You know, you and I could be buddies or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or just like for a while he was wearing green tights. I can even see him just like, a lot of green. You yeah, know? yeah. Just, uh, uh, you know, that's a bad guy color palette. But there is a you know, thing whatever. on social media. Whenever anybody says, oh, this hasn't aged well or this is inappropriate, there's a swarm of people who re- just hate anything that even smacks a little bit of like PC mm-hmm. concerns. Um, and hey, I'm not a member of the PC police. I think there's times when we get too sensitive to stuff. We all have our own boundary yeah. in that regard. But what Dan was saying made sense to me. I'm like, yeah, he's right, man. Like, uh, kids should not feel bad if they're reading Spider-Man's jokes. I mean, I uh, and the uh, idea of Spider-Man not being a bully—that totally. He was bullied, right? So he wouldn't do. Total, it. I mean, there is a sequence in Ultimate Spider-Man where he does a bunch of literal fat jokes to Kingpin. And I never liked that. And I think that that pinpointed exactly why I didn't like it. And it was just like, Oh, it, it feels like insult comedy. And I don't, I don't think of Spider-Man as insulting villains to get them angry. 
he's irritating them. So the funny thing which was is, uh, there's a as a as a fine yes, line. And I don't know if this person I almost wonder if this was a joke because it's so insanely dumb, but it didn't seem to be. Somebody basically got mad at Dan Slott and was like, uh, have you even actually read an entire Spider-Man story? Um, like, do you know what you're yeah. talking about? And his and his his answer was like so funny. Yeah, it's something like I, I've written. Uh, I helped. I was consulted on these video games. I, I, it's like I was the principal to these movies. Writer of the comic for ten years and then, or whatever. Then the last statement was: I've written more issues of Amazing Spider-Man than any other writer who has ever walked this earth. Yeah, which is true. He's written more Amazing Spider-Man issues than anyone else. Uh, um, the guy later on, uh, the, the guy who made that comment, like, said something like. Uh, yep. Uh, I'm the guy who told Dan, asked Dan Slott if he's ever written, uh, read Spider-Man. I deserve this. And sort of like, he's like, I'm not going to respond to everything here, but yeah, you're right. Dan Slott was, he sort of didn't, he didn't delete the tweet. The guy just sort of sucked it up and took it. Uh, Dan Slott's one of the consultants on the Spider-Man PS4 video game, which I just adore. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I know you do too. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, things not aging well is such an interesting um, thing. I mean, because like we read, we read all those old Fantastic Four and Spider-Man comics, and a lot of it, especially the sexism, mm -hmm. ages terribly. Yeah. Um, I think those reprints would still exist, but if I like did a Fantastic Four movie, I'm going to make my Invisible Woman an updated version of the Invisible yeah, Woman. We would do John Byrne's version of that. So, I mean, there's that too. Uh, it's, it's another example of how newer I, comics learn the lessons like John Byrne in many ways improved on Kirby's story while, while, while learning what was good about Kirby's stories also. Yeah. He couldn't have done it without building a top oh, of Kurt, what Kirby of had created, not. but he, he had the ability of being like, Oh, it's been 25 years. I can fix mm -hmm. these things that are now glaringly bad. Improve the logic of uh, some things. Just like, oh man, those John Byrne Fantastic Four stories. We're going to have to do them. Um, I forget. I had one other point about something aging poorly and I've lost it. Uh, uh, I'm sure it was a really cool point. Anyway, it's gone into the ether. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that was a really funny um, tweet. I like Dance a lot a lot. I agreed with, I agree with a lot of what he says. I liked his run a lot, so it makes sense. Um, I, I, at some point I want to sit down and reread his run, but that is just an enormous undertaking. Yeah. Um, he, he seems like just like a real smart and thoughtful guy. Yeah. Um, he's currently writing fantastic four doing a pretty good job on that. He did Iron Man, which is just wrapping up. I loved his Iron Man run. It was real short, too short, but I loved it. He probably just spent so long on Spidey that he kind of maybe doesn't want to get bogged down with anything for that long for right now. That makes sense to me. It's, it's hard to say. Like maybe it wasn't selling well. Maybe they had somebody else pitch a, t a run. Like, I don't know how much he doesn't seem like the sort of guy that would do a short run, but um, it's unclear. Or maybe he couldn't keep up with two titles. Yeah. And he had to pick between Fantastic Four and Iron Man, or maybe he just had one story he wanted to do with Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's hard to know, but he, he did a really good job in Iron Man for me of setting up a supporting cast, mm. which I think is so essential uh, Kurt Busick uh, posted something about this. Like somebody asked him about what the, uh, someone said something either to him or that he just commented on about the joy of writing for mainstream comics is that you get to create a piece of this mosaic that'll stay with the character forever. 
And Kurt was like, I don't know if that's true. Yeah. Anymore. He's like, creators come on down. They sort of clean house. They clean the slate. They start over. They wipe everything out and they go back to the status quo they want to write from. Yeah. He's like, I wrote for Avengers for a year and it's very well regarded, but it's pretty much thrown out after I left. Yeah. Uh, he's like, I did Defenders, had no impact. Um, and he kind of listed a bunch of things he did that like had zero impact on the con- the titles. He's like, I wrote Iron Man for years. Nothing of that is part of Iron Man now. Wow. Because basically Iron Man was redone by the Robert Downey yeah, Jr. Yeah. Avengers was redone because they kind of went with this Spider-Man Wolverine version. Okay, yeah. That was very different. Um, his Defenders run wasn't super popular, so that makes sense. But it's just like, yeah, it's tough to do that. I responded to him saying like, well, Thunderbolts, you created this title that still exists. Um, and then he sort of listed, a, he responded to that and then re- mentioned some things that he's done. Yeah. Because like, he moments from his Avengers run were sort of inspired some of the age of Ultron movie. And so like he definitely had an impact, but it's, it's small things versus like, Oh, this character I created, you don't even see him anymore. Uh, which is crazy to me, uh, that like Dan Slott created this huge supporting cast for Iron Man, people who work for him, like three or four different people. And I'm sure none of them will be in the next round of Iron Man. It's sort of a bummer to me. Cause I'm like, Oh, I like all these characters. Um, well, we will solve all these problems. Uh, yeah. By discussing old comics like Sandman. <laughs> yeah. So we have one more issue of Batman year one, and then we're going to get into Sandman comics, the vertigo title. I, ca- I made a list of the issues we're going to go over. I sent it to Kevin today. Uh, mm-hmm. might alter it slightly, but I think that's what we're going to do. I mean, it was, I'm Kevin. I'm sure you've had this problem. I'm sure you had it with justice league. Every single issue I looked at of Sandman, I was like, this is another good one. But I've, but yeah, I, that's why I kept adding some to our season. But I, I think I have a pretty good sampling that'll be really fun to talk about. I'm really happy with where we ended our Justice League. The issue we ended on, I think, was a good issue to end on. So I concur. Um, I'm glad we did some Europe, uh, and I'm glad we uh, ended on issue six. Uh, I think for Batman Year One, we should do four issues. That's a good idea. Yeah, let's just do four mm-hmm. issues of Batman. It's a four Year issue one. series. I think we should cover the four issues. Yeah, let's do that. Um, well, everybody, this is us, the Milk Sops, signing off. <laughs> yeah, thanks for uh, uh, listening. Please email us and, and reach out. Bye bye. Bye. Screw it, screw it. Just about comics. What's going on? Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics, listeners. Screw it. Are you ready for a promo? Let's do yoga. Let's get fit. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Muriel. And we're the hosts of Hella in, in Your Thirties. A podcast about a cool couple trying to do adult stuff. So each week we invite you to join us as we try to learn things we should probably already know, like how does a stock market work? Can we install that bidet? Why are all of our house plants dying? This is a podcast for people of all ages, because remember... Age ain't nothing but a number. But being Hella in Your Thirties is a state of mind. So tomorrow's a new day. Let's order pizza. Campfire.